All right, everyone, we are live. Happy Friday, everyone. Today is September 28th, and this is episode 42 of Get Your Tech on our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volk, founder of the Volk Firm and Nimble This, our show on all things Doxis. With us is John Downey, the Van Dam of Cable. John is also technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, good to have you with us and to see your face, John. <laughs> oh, it's like an avatar. <laughs> I'm uh, in. I'm out of RTP, right, North Carolina, and I'm in Atlanta this week, working on uh, staging some SCTE demos. You know, that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, and the camera on my computer doesn't seem to be working. So there's my excuse. Well, it's good. You know, at least you have good audio quality this time, John. So glad to have you. <laughs> no um, satellite delay? Yeah, no no delay, no delay. So also with us is Tal Lawfer, who in her sleep orchestrates ones and zeros into beautiful broadband music. Tal is also director, product manager, network intelligence and automation at Eris. Tal, so glad to have you back with us. Thank you for having me, Brady. So today's topic is going to be a, a follow-up conversation on orchestration and RFI. And before we get into the topic, I want to mention uh, about Hurricane Florence that has it interrupted our last podcast we were scheduled to have. And more importantly, it's impacted a lot of lives in North and South Carolina. It's made international news. Uh, John, you mentioned you're in... You're from the RTP area. I wanted to uh, see if you had any updates on how the recovery effort has been going in the area. John, you're on mute. There we go. <laughs> so in RTP, we're far enough inland that it didn't hit too bad. But uh, uh, my my son's on the GI Bill, and he's, center, he's going to UNCW in Wilmington. And that was basically the direct hit of the eye of the storm. It hit Wilmington, then it went south, I think, to Myrtle Beach and up around. So we got a lot of rain, a lot of water, a lot of wind. Uh, our place uh, where he's staying didn't get too bad, but there was it was like a war zone down there. You know, grocery stores not open, gas stations, no gas, uh, and trees just cut in half. Or and they were so saturated with water on the ground that the root system just comes up, right? So the whole trees just fall over out of pine trees, stuff like that. And then two days later, after Hurricane Juan, all the water that was north of there flowed into Cape Fear and then flowed back down towards Wilmington. <laughs> so, you know, you end up with more water that was 150 miles away that just came flowing back down again. So, yeah, it was a lot of uh, flooding and a lot of rain and stuff like that. But, I mean, things seem to be getting back on board. And uh, some of the, I mean, hell, 95 was closed down. When have you heard like Route 95 being closed down? You know, 95 and Route 40, two major routes and, and arteries coming into the North and South Carolina. So people were really displaced. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty big, uh, pretty amazing storm that came in. And, and definitely, uh, you know, our best to all, everyone who was impacted and, and definitely the operators who are working to, to get everything back in order. Uh, out there so and it was only a cat one you know you imagine if it was a cat four what they planned for <laughs> yeah yeah it was definitely a big storm when it was coming in so glad glad it's through and, and hopefully recovery effort is quick for everyone so all right uh moving along we'll get into the main topic here orchestration and rfi and we'll start out um basically orchestration um and uh virtualization we've 
been a lot of talk on that. Um, Tal, I'd like to get your first take on this because there's been a lot of work since the last time we had a conversation on this. How do you see this changing our industry and cable, Tal? Do you, do you see it Dad, moving us forward? I do, Brady. Yeah, this is um, a big, a big change for for our industry coming up, and uh, we've been working on this, as you said, uh, a lot in the last uh, the last year or so. It's been picking up. Um, the you know the virtualization in itself is going to take um, you know customized hardware, move that to off the shelf server and up to the cloud uh, for um, various various services that are currently today being used on customized hardware like the Mac core processing or some of the routing capabilities or some of the network management capabilities. So first of all, it's going the virtualization by itself. Uh, it's going to change uh, the the industry by by moving more things up to the cloud and requiring less customized hardware, hence reducing the space and power that is potentially required inside the hubs. And that's going to be more cost effective eventually to de deploy all those types of, of services. But the orchestration angle of it is also, I think, longer term is going to change our industry because it will allow our customers, the cable operators, to basically change their network in a much more rapid pace. They're going to be able to spin up new services uh, automatically just by a mouse click where on doing things that today would have touched multiple different systems and you had to log in and CLI to different types of network elements. Uh, now you will be able to just one with one mouse click, you're going to be able to just execute a set of commands, set of uh, series of actions on multiple network components, network uh, elements in a way that will just spin up a new service um, much more much more quickly so example for these type of new services could be a new broadcast channel a new ad zone right if you wanted to uh target uh there's a new uh, neighborhood you wanted to target that specific neighborhood with a new ad zone to make advertisement for the local pizza shop that's going to be much more easier to spin up a new ad zone and you know configure all the different network elements on the path that are going to belong to that that ad zone, just as an example. It's going to be much faster to create a new uh, business service, right? Uh, MPLS tunnel um, that uh, or SD um, SD one type of service that is going to spin up spin up on multiple types of uh, routers on the path. We're going to be able to just do that automatically with a mouse click. So everything is going to be faster and easier. It's going to allow the cable operators to be much more fast-paced, uh, roll out new software features, roll out new types of services, and provide better value and better uh, quality of service to their customers, the end users. Okay. Um, so how does this, when, we, when we're doing this dynamically, how does this impact the, particularly the technician in the field when, you know, today a technician is used to having sort of much more of a static plant. In the future, I think we're going to have much more of a dynamic plant. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point, right? So when we have a much more dynamic plan that can go and change, we need more tools. We need more ways to see what's going on in the network. And we basically need better network visibility. 
Uh, we need to know better where are all the nodes and taps, where it could potentially be a leakage point and what would be a potential interference in the, in the field and be able to fix that quick, you know, in a, in a quicker way. We're going to need some more tools to detect those issues from the top level and got to be able to fix things on a systematic base, right? Go and change configuration for all the remote find nodes, for example, that are deployed out there, again, automatically. Once you have distributed access architecture and you have some kind of change of plant in a certain area, you need to go and change the configuration and all those RPDs, remote file modules that are out there in the field, and you want to do that like this, instantaneously. The orchestration capability and the automation is going to enable you to go and fix those things very, very quickly. Today, it would have, you know, maybe required a truck roll and would have, you know, triggered some more, uh, you know, time-consuming type of actions in your plant. So the automation and orchestration can allow you to just go and you know, fix that automatically. We're going to be able to also create self-healing network functionality, right? Once we collect that information, we're going to be able to create some automatic functions that will go and fix things in the plant, like change attenuation, change modulation profile automatically, reset uh, a unit that is misbehaving. We're going to be able to create those automation functions that's going to help us a lot. So, John, when at the last expo, SET Expo, uh, was when you had shown me one of the RFI nodes you had where it was sort of like a technician communicating with the RFI node over a mobile device. I kind of see this uh, from what Tal is talking about going away with orchestration. Do we see a time where technicians will not be directly communicating with RFI nodes and setting them up? Yeah, I mean, even when, you know, going back to Denver last year, uh, we were going over the intelligent node, the iNode. And uh, one of the big pushes for the iNode is, is something we talked about years ago, but I, I think cost and everything finally caught up. Technology was getting rid of pads and EQs. You know, you and I both know when we were at Secor Electronics, you know, carrying around tackle boxes full of pads and equalizers and you know, upstream, downstream, the split for the equalizer, you know, people putting in the wrong ones and, and, and bad ones, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're talking, you know, money, a lot of money that's tied up in just accessories. So one of the things with the iNode was getting rid of all the accessories and allowing it to be controlled. Uh, the pad, the equalizer, the tilt, uh, upstream wing switches, you know, turning off for troubleshooting, um, testing, built-in spectrum analysis now. All that stuff is can be incorporated now uh, inside with solid state or whatever inside the node itself. Um, so now we have the capability to remotely do this. Uh, when I was showing you at the time, we plugged in through a USB with a, an app on my phone. Uh, whether or not you could do that from the ground could be considered a security risk. So you wouldn't do it like a Bluetooth or some type of wireless because then someone could hack into it and maybe change it. Um, but we are now at the point where the iNode can be controlled remotely via the network itself, assuming the iNode is up and running, right? Like if the, if the node went down, you obviously don't have connectivity to it. So someone's going to have to go out there and fix it. Uh, and that might be the case where you plug in an iPad or your Samsung phone, you know, uh, doing whatever, uh, Android or, or, or uh, iPhone. And then you could uh, uh, fix the problem or, you know, troubleshoot a little bit better. Um, automation is great, I guess, if you have connectivity. 
<laughs> you still have to have connectivity to be able to do everything. Um, so you yeah. hope that you 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 configure in redundancy so things don't go down, right? You have redundancy. We have daisy chaining, uh, maybe to conserve resources. Um, those resources could be fiber. Um, there's a lot of things we have to look at in regards to network stability and availability. I guess you could say reliability and availability aren't necessarily the same thing. Right. So, so Tal, you, you talk about, and you make it sound so simple, this like one button <laughs> push where you just configure that node. But let's talk about putting the RFI node out where maybe you're replacing a, an existing node out there. And that existing mm -hmm. node already has sort of known pads, known equalizer values, but now we're dropping in the RFI node. What, what has to go into the understanding of when we, when we do that one button push, what should, how do we know what pad value settings and what, what equalizer value settings get automatically default configured into that RFI node so that it's, it's already configured appropriately for the proper settings that the, the legacy node that the RFI node is replacing should be? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, and it's really the solution is a case by case, uh, you know, kind of a deployment uh, procedure that needs to get defined because it really depends on do you deploy a complete new node or do you just upgrade your existing fiber nodes to include an RPD, a remote FI device, right? Maybe you're just putting in a new remote FI device module inside a fiber node and, you know, the pattern equalization, equalization values remain kind of the same on the, on the node itself. Um, when we install this RPD, we need to be cognizant of the fact that there's additional alignment that needs to happen in the network, right? We change the, the values and the pads, and we need to be able to remotely change them potentially, right? There's a way to do that, or the technician that is in installing that new node and new RPD needs to, to know what value to change them to. And this is where additional uh, field use tools uh, come into place. And we need the ability to see the network as the way that the node sees it on the coax uh, cable that goes out to the home. We need to be able to see the downstream and upstream spectrum and create the alignment of the power between the two directions. There are multiple tools today in the market that are able to do that. Some of them are hardware-based, some of them are software-based. And they collect the information from the network, take a look at the spectrum, that is, you know, the way it looks when you just put in the box and kind of allows the technician to get the input they need to set up the values on the pads and, and the equalizers, right? So they know what to do in the field in real time during the installation process. So this is something that doesn't necessarily get automated as fast, really depends on the network. There are some you know, products out there that allow you more automated, like, you know, DOCSIS transceivers inside the node that can allow you to change those pads uh, remotely, or you do need to have the technician to, to change those. Um, the automation that we see right now in the market is more focused around setting up the RPD itself, connecting it to the Mac core, creating the basic configuration on it, you know, setting up all the DOCSIS and video service groups, um, you know, managing the security on that node. Security is a big deal, right? If somebody hacks into the RPD, they can potentially hack into the Mac core and they can take down a whole box that, you know, worth of 30,000, you know, 30,000 subscribers, right? So the security measurements become more, much more important. So we're focusing on, on the automation of right now, but the tools that are complementing 
in that and will see the network and see the spectrum at the end of the of the node better are those that allow, allow us to better align the, the spectrum on both directions. I mean, you, you bring up a good point about um, a scenario of upgrading an existing node to remote fi. So you're going from analog fiber to digital fiber. You're just removing the optical transmitter receiver in the node and putting in a, a remote fi device. Um, you still have the amplification, the pads, the EQs. Um, you don't have any spectrum analysis in the existing node, but you do have some spectrum analysis in the RPD. So you should have some built-in spectrum analysis there. Uh, and you should still have the cable modems in the field that do full bandwidth capture, right? So you could you know, look before and after. <laughs> you always do before and after, right? Uh, show cable modem summary total. How many did I drop after I do an upgrade? I got to make sure everything's back to where it started, you know, and I even look at upstream and downstream MER uh, of all the modems, sort of like plot them in a, a, a bell curve or some type of graph. Uh, so before and after changes. Right. What I foresee is if I take an existing fiber node and upgrade it to RPD, I remember back in my C-Core days that the optical transmitter, the upstream optical transmitter, normally what it sees like a plus seven. If you add in all the losses from the amplification and the housing and you had a tap on the outside, typically we were shooting for maybe 17 at the housing, somewhere around there, because we knew we probably had 10 dB of loss in the housing and the amplification and the splitters, combiners in the node to get to the optical transmitter. So with that said, if you take that optical transmitter out and put it in an RPD, that's the upstream chipset. That's a DOCSIS chipset that normally wants to see zero. So now it's a 7 dB delta. So if I looked at my cable modem's transmit levels before and after an RPD upgrade, I might notice that my entire bell curve shifted to the left by 7 dB. All my modem transmit levels are now 7 dB lower, which means I'm going to get worse MER maybe because I'm not running modems as high as they could be. So there's a couple of solutions there is one, you could install padding on the upstream inside the node to force all the modems to go higher in level. So we're right there back to where we started. Or we configure the RPD for plus seven input instead of the default zero. I mean, the good news is having the RPD and the digital fiber closer to the customer allows me lower levels, which might be required when I start implementing more upstream spectrum. DOCSIS 3.1, OFDMA, 96 megahertz blocks, you know, because the more channels we turn on, the less transmit power we get per channel because of total power requirements of the modems and stuff like that. So uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, that first upgrade where we just swap one for another and all of a sudden our levels change. And, and like you said, uh, we should have some control over it. We should obviously should be viewing and have visibility into seeing what happens before and after. Mm -hmm. so, so, John, let me ask you this, if, if, if that's okay. Do you mm -hmm. see different ways that customers are solving this in different parts of the world, different, different, different types of customers? Do you see a variety or do they all go by the same template of, you know, trying to figure out what value to put on those pads and equalizers? And... and like you said, it's case by case, and one would be a total node ripout, and it might be uh, like if it was the I node, then we could just configure padding on the up. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the worst thing we want to do is create more truck rolls, 
<laughs> if, if I have to put in an upstream pad and then later on uh, um, I increase my upstream spectrum and I'm like, oh, now I need to hit it a little bit lower because there's no way these, these modems already maxed out in upstream transit power. So I need to remove some of that padding. Uh, it's like, how do I do that? Do I roll a truck? <laughs> That's not a good scenario, right? Having to roll a truck just to remove a pad. Um, and it might be come down to a mixture of both of them, uh, splitting, splitting the difference, maybe a three dB pad on the upstream and then configuring plus three on my RPD. And then later on, when I start incrementing more spectrum on the upstream, I just change it back to zero on my, my RPD, the upstream receive level. I still leave the pad in there and, and just go with that. And I think it's going to be a balance between the two. Yeah, I agree. I see that as well. So I think this topic is of very high importance to operators when they look at, I'm going to be upgrading these nodes, legacy nodes from uh, that are analog to RFI nodes, and I want to have the ability to snapshot my plant before, snapshot my plant after, and make sure that it's a good conversion. Does this fall within the, the what maybe orchestration could do for us? if we have it in place before, have it in place after, and then take that snapshot before, take it after? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. So, you know, the orchestration is nothing without the monitoring and network visibility that comes with potential assurance type of tools, right? If you don't have the information from the field on the topology, if you don't have the power levels of the different devices out there, as, as John said, the, the, the full band capture that is generated from the cable modems and the information we collect from the different nodes in the field, if we don't have, we don't have our eyes and ears, that it's going to be much harder to create valuable orchestration functionalities, right? So being able to collect the noise levels, to connect the, you know, noise levels are the lower level of the of the pyramid. You know, going forward, we will be able to collect more DOCSIS-related parameters, like quality of, of service type of parameters. And going even further, we're going to be able to collect quality of experience type of parameters. So maybe you don't have an outage, but the, the user is experiencing bad Netflix service because of something within the network, right? So all those different types of um, polling points and types of information that can be collected with different types of, you know, uh, monitoring points and monitoring tools are going to be the eyes and ears of the orchestration tools. And the orchestration itself can look into all that data, you know, create the analysis and do the more advanced uh, um, algorithm and analysis, big, potentially big data analysis even on those, um, on those because this is so much information. And being able to just take that data organize it in such a meaningful way that will allow us to deduce what needs to get done in the network, right? And then orchestration comes in to execute those optimization phases. So the collection of the data allow us to understand what's the situation, then we need some advanced algorithms to know how to fix it or how to optimize it. For example, if we see different patterns of SNR values in the network, and we want to create the appropriate modulation profiles for DOCSIS 3.1 in different areas of the spectrum, then it's going to be first collection and then optimization of all those profiles that need to get, um, that, that should be used. And then the orchestration solution is going to go there and actually configure those modulation profiles on the network elements, right? On the integrated CCAPs, on the remote FINOs, distributed, all, all sorts of distributed access architecture devices. And this is how we create the optimization of the network. We're gonna be able to get more bits per hertz 
out of the network by first collecting and then optimizing and configuring things in the network, all done automatically. So is it fair to say that a, the foundation of a good orchestration system is a really, really sound monitoring system? And then mo that monitoring system feeds the, the, the network information, any, any impairments, any issues that you see into the, the next level of the orchestrator, which is to the decision making, to start making decisions of here's the issues we're seeing, here's the, the good things we're seeing, the bad things we're seeing, and then yeah. we can start making optimizations based on the decisions we're making from the, the monitoring system. Right. So, you know what, Brady, this is a philosophical question suiting for a Friday afternoon, right? I mean, the question is, can you, you know, can you really make the network better without seeing it? Can you run, run a marathon track without seeing the track itself and being prepared for what's coming up? Yes, you could run straight and reach, the, you know, the final line and you will be able to, you'll be successful, yes. So you can orchestrate a network and change configuration on it even without seeing it. You can go to a, you know, to a, a CMTS and change its configuration. And yes, you can orchestrate things, but you're not going to be able to do that intelligently. You're not going to be able to take whatever is out there in terms of impairments in the network and really optimize your configuration based on those impairments to get the most out of your existing plant. So you can go and change stuff, but if you don't do that intelligently based on what is out there, then you know you're not going to be you're not going to be doing it well. I mean, you're always going to need a feedback loop to let you know what's going on before right. and after, even after the changes. And uh, we we always talk about being proactive versus reactive. And uh, if our feedback loop is just basically the modems are offline, <laughs> that's not a good feedback loop. You know, so we need to be monitoring to see how bad things are getting and how close we think things are getting to failure. You know, you bring up quality of experience. You know, one of the things we've seen with RemoteFi, one of the things that we tout and, and the benefit of RemoteFi is digital fiber can go super long distance. If I start exceeding the 100-mile typical spec of DOCSIS, which is 0.8 millisecond uh, one-way delay, I believe it's 0.8 millisecond, right? Uh, it's about 100 miles of fiber. We can easily exceed that with a digital fiber, uh, but then we also might have to uh, look at our map advance, look at our time delay, uh, and there are some things that we show and we've seen ourselves. What if I have redundant paths? You know, we talk about doing digital fiber being on a metro Ethernet ring. Well, a ring indicates maybe two different paths, an A path and a B path. Uh, what happens if the fiber breaks and one weighs 400 kilometers, the other weighs 1,400 kilometers? You know, if and we can handle it, but how quickly does the map advance update? How quickly does it change? Uh, how quickly do we monitor the latency in the SIN, the CIN, you know, the Converge Interconnect Network? Um, so there are some uh, things we've already run into where if it's not fast enough, modems are going to go offline. If it's fast enough to modems keep modems online, it still might not be fast enough to keep a voice call online, you know? So there's still, you know, difference between a modem going offline online and also quality of experience of, you know, having that uh, layer three connectivity back up and running within a second or less than a second if we really need to. So it, yeah. these are the things we, we look at, you know, distance, uh, something called dynam dynamic latency measurement, how quickly are we making that latency measurement and updating it. But we definitely can do a lot farther distance now with digital as well. Yeah. And, and so, John, uh, tagging on to what you said about proactivity, we do see cable operators across the industry 
having a much bigger focus on being proactive and, and utilizing the tools from cable labs um, from a proactive network maintenance standpoint. I see orchestration as being the next evolution to proactive network maintenance because it's looking not just at the physical layer or Wi-Fi, it's looking all the way from the CMTS to the, the subscriber's home at the network. Tal, what are you seeing as an industry from operators being open to accepting orchestration, which is, which is basically allowing the orchestrator to make changes to the CMTS, which is generally almost an off-limits thing for most yes. operators? It is. It's very religiously protected, I have to say. Um, but, you know, we're getting there, Brady. It's, uh, it's a slow transition, but uh, we see more and more operators being open to automation and orchestration tools because they understand that at some, you know, at some point in time, you know, a 10,000 line configuration file is just not something sustainable that their technicians can handle. Right. They understand that, you know, there's so much automation in our day to day lives, you know, things that would have, we would have done manually before now are being done completely automatically automatically like uh, you know checking into a flight or you know doing day-to-day -day things that are much more automated and uh, make made easier so today we, we you know our op our customers and the operators are, are understanding that they need to put in automation tools and orchestration tools because they're not going to be able to keep being competitive in the market if it takes them so much time to just change configuration and do any kind of, of, of you know software upgrade or configuration change in the field it's just going to make them slower compared to their competitors, which could be, you know, fiber or satellite um, companies. They need to move forward, you know, with the technology and they understand they need more uh, automation and orchestration tools. Now, say, having said that, it takes a bit of time to really gain the trust of, you know, some of the, of, of the operators just because, again, this is a very sensitive network. If you make a mistake in your automation or orchestration function, you can take down a network for, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of, uh, of subscribers. So we need to make sure we do very good quality assurance on, on all of these tools. But I think the operators also are starting to see that they need to open up to other industries and allow for consolidation of tools and um and systems with, with, that are, you know, being used with other types of, of industries or adjacent industries like the telco world. Um, an example for that is that we see more and more operators that are consolidating both a cable access network and a telco type of network with, you know, mobile type of network. All those kind of sister uh, networks, they are... They, they look similar, but they're very different on the access level. But their top level, the top level of the network is actually, you know, very similar. They need to orchestrate devices. It doesn't really matter if it's a remote FI or, uh, or a DSL box in the end, right? And they understand that they need common tools between the different types of access, um, access uh, architectures. So they understand they need to open up and allow for other systems to exist within their network and comply with different uh, different types of, uh, of, of, of tools and architectures and protocols such as ONAP or MANO type of, uh, of, uh, of tools that are virtualizing the network management level. And they do the same for telco, for mobile, for, you know, for other types of communication systems. They understand that, you know, we're starting to converge on the top level. So this helps a little bit with convincing them to, you know, to go in that direction, which is, I think, very important. 
So John, I also want to get your take on this because you and I both know we, we've worked with operators who are hesitant to use features in a CMTS like dynamic modulation profiles in the upstream. And I think orchestration just takes us so much further beyond that. So what are your thoughts on, on this topic? <laughs> How do we move the ball? <laughs> well, welcome to Cyberdyne Networks. <laughs> it's all going to be AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Everything's taken over. Uh, I don't know. And part of it is uh, control. You know, people want to keep on their control. That's their power. Um, but in, in the way I look at it is you have a couple experts that you trust uh, in the industry, maybe that gives you recommendations and best practices and logically tell you pros and cons. And that's what I try to do too, is, you know, here's the pros and cons of doing a certain uh, application. I mean, the ultimate goal is to keep our customers online and give them a good quality of experience. That's the ultimate goal. You give them what they pay for. All right. Yes. <laughs> Whatever they're paying for, you give it to them. Uh, a lot of times the traffic on the internet is just people doing speed tests <laughs> just to prove that you're, they're getting what they're paying for. Um, if we automate, I always recommend all these features to keep the customer online and happy, but it's a matter of gaining, I guess, trust from the cable company themselves to do some of these features dynamic modulation, the fact that uh, I don't want thrashing to occur. And that's what occurred in some cases where you don't implement best practices, where the modulation goes up, down, up, down, up, down. You're like, oh, well, that's not any better than just dropping to a lower modulation. I mean, it's you have to build in things like hysteresis. Um, I used to call it like um, we had an RFOG O&I one time that had a built-in um, – squelch feature where if noise came in or the RFOG device came on too long, we assumed it wasn't DOCSIS because upstream DOCSIS is bursty. So if it's on too long a time, it must be regular ingress noise. And then if that, if that noise came in, we would just shut the ONU off. Uh, and then if it happened again, we'd shut it off like a logarithmic type of algorithm. So instead of two seconds, the next time it was five seconds. Next time it was 10 seconds. Next time it was three minutes. So you can implement things like that to settle down thrashing networks, which we know cable networks are thrashing. They're changing all the time, right? You know, we, we're even looking at that now with the FDX. With FDX, how quickly does the echo cancellation have to reconverge? You know, I'm going to have a train going by my house and the poles rattling and the cables moving. It's going to change the echoes that occur on the downstream. So now I have to make sure I update my echo cancellation a lot quicker so that it can allow upstream and downstream spectrum to, to transmit at the same instant of time, which that, that seems like magic by itself, right? FDX, you know, allowing upstream and downstream spectrum at the same instant of time. Um, but it works. And that's one of the things we're going to show that as well as FDX overlap. Uh, we've done it before, but we were limited to uh, 204 megahertz now. A new implementation that allows higher frequency. So we're going to do up to like 500 some megahertz, like a 96 megahertz block in like five, 500 to 600 or somewhere around there. So yeah, things things are coming along. Did I tiptoe around your uh, question a lot? Uh, good enough? Yeah, you you basically <laughs> avoided the question quite effectively. So, um, 
<laughs> so, you know, what, what if we had standardizations and, uh, you know, like specifications on this? I think that'd be one thing that would help operators feel much more comfortable. So what is, is there anything happening from a, you know, maybe cable labs or a standardization on uh, orchestration? Front? Yeah, so, yeah, I, so cable apps are, are just starting to, to ramp up on this. Um, there are kind of wider standardization bodies um, that are creating some more recommendations and specs for the industry and for the different types of industries, right? Not just cable, but general telecommunication. So there is the ONF, Open Networking Foundation, and the LNF, which is a Linux, sorry, LFN. I keep confusing those two. Linux Foundation Networking, so LFN. Um, this is These are, um, you know, kind of interwined committees, committees that are trying to create recommendations and Prioritization around orchestration of you know networks that um, that are kind of connected to the telecommunication industry. So they create. Um, they, it's not like there's one spec we can all go and implement like in the cable apps DOCSIS world. No, it's it's not there. Um, there are different types of specs. There are different types of subgroups within within those bodies, and they are creating a set of recommendations and uh, kind of reference architecture for different types of architecture. So there was an uh, initiative called Volta that was originally on focused on PON orchestration. So creating PON network orchestration. How do we deploy? How do we manage? What are the different layers in the architecture that need to exist? Um, so that, that is helpful, right? If you have a reference architecture, then we all can look at similar, uh, I guess, sheet of paper and try to implement it in a similar way. There are also some specs and um, some specs and, uh, and, and uh, protocols like NetConf and Yang that are being considered within our cable industry, right? A little bit more to make it more accessible, to make it more unified in terms of how do you access uh, network elements, right? So, so there are different initiatives over, you know, here and there uh, that's coming from different angles, but there's no one, you know, panacea that can solve all of it and be able to, you know, really create an all-engulfing type of, uh, of spec just yet. Uh, we're trying to be part of, so Eris is part of those working groups, and I know many other operators and vendors are part of those working groups, um, but yeah, we're not there yet, in this is the short answer. So I, I also want to ask about PMA, which is the Profile Management Application. It's, it's a mm -hmm. reference architecture that's part of Cable Labs um, in, their, in their repository. And what that does is it allows you to take the receive MER per subcarrier from cable modems and then then make profile recommendations for the downstream OFDM uh, uh, carriers in the in the in the CMTS. Now, would that also fit into the orchestration um, sort of architecture? Definitely, yeah. So, what uh, what the spec is that the PMA spec is. Uh, creating a set of, again, a reference architecture it doesn't necessarily say how you need to do that, but it says what, what kind of process you should be going through, right? So it uh, tells you to collect the information from the cable modems on the MER and the SNR that is being, you know, viewed in the field, do something with it, right? Where you can introduce your secret sauce, the vendor's secret sauce, and optimize the modulation profiles that are being used for DOCSIS 3.1 um, on a network element, be it uh, integrated CCAP or remote FI. Later on, it will be you know remote packet FI as well. So it's kind of all encompassing. So it is definitely part of the orchestration solution because what it does is collect information, optimize the configuration and going back and reapplying that configuration on the network elements 
in such a way that will allow you to optimize your network uh, usage. So definitely a big part of the of the orchestration uh, function. Yeah. So I think that's some of the good news, and I think that's ultimately where we need to go with orchestration is have these standards built around it. Um, I want to take a, a slight change here on the topic and just talk about some, some real-life scenarios that we've seen with R5. One of them I've experienced is um, operators struggling with when they initially deploy R5 is how to balance the, the, the network um, because when, when you have a fiber node, a legacy fiber node, you can do typically typical sweep and balance from the head end. And we're running into some scenarios where that's just not as easily deployed depending on what equipment you have. So I wanna find out what you guys are recommending or what you're seeing with operators. How do you, how do, you do normal balance for return path? What are the recommendations when it's a, a new, new build, uh, the plant hasn't been swept? Recommendations, thoughts on this? John, I'll let you. Now that I got my camera on. Hey, <laughs> hey John. My camera. Good to see you, John. <laughs> I don't have an avatar anymore. Uh, so I've argued a long time ago that you know, I started out as C Corp balancing amplifiers, and you know everyone stuck with a couple pilot carriers that we would balance uh, the pad and EQ based. And the equalization was based on two pilot carriers. I'm like. What if that tone is in the roll-off? What if that tone has a problem? What if that tone is in a standing wave and it happens to be at the peak of the standing wave? I mean, really, we should have always been balancing amplifiers, pattern EQs, based on sweep traces. We should have said, all right, if I know my – and unity gain is unity gain, right? If I know my node is coming out proper levels, I normalize that trace, and I try to make all my amplifiers look like that normalized trace as best I can. Because whatever, if the node's coming out proper levels, then everything after it that looks like the same trace is also going to be proper levels. You understand what I'm getting at? So I've always said, you know, if it happens to roll off, it happens to roll off. I don't want to balance with an equalizer because my trace rolls off a little bit. Now my tilt is wrong because I'm balancing based on a roll off. And that's not right. Um, I, I, I feel like I need to be able to see the spectrum across the board, whether that's sweepless sweep. Well, nowadays, we can almost get away with a sweepless sweep because we're full spectrum. It's like the spectrum is full of actual channels. There's no real need to insert sweep points because we're full. You know, most of the time we are full. Yeah. Um, so, so one of our challenges today and one of my action items for the Cable Labs PNM Working Group is we need a solution that's standards-based that every, every RFI node has a standardization for return spectrum analysis and also sweep that we have that in there. So, so if, if you're an operator today and you don't have a solution that lets us do sweep or sweepless sweep or return path spectrum analysis, you have to come up with a different solution. So I think yeah. I, what I'm looking for is what is that, what is that bridge solution today, and then what is the how do we get to so a standardized I, I, solution? I brought this up at your fire chat session at Cable Lab Summer Conference, right? Where if I don't have NDF NDR narrowband digital forward narrowband digital reverse NDF NDR support that can take an upstream signal from my existing sweep equipment, digitize it, and send it over my CIN my my digital fiber, maybe we don't have that, right? And that's what you're asking. What can I do in the interim? And I would argue that you know your cable modem transmit levels, right? If I have a 23 dB tap off the node, 
and I have a cable modem built in my test equipment, I can see the modem transmit levels from that 23 dB tap. The ultimate goal is when I go to the next amplifier and there's a 23 dB tap off of that amplifier, the customer off that tap should be the same transmit levels as the customer off the first tap. They're both 23 dB taps. So technically, if I do my design correctly, the modem should be transmitting the same. So I go to that next amplifier and I insert my cable modem test equipment and I look at my modem transmit levels because it has a built-in DOCSIS modem. I go through the RPD, it gets to the CMTS core, it does the ranging and all that stuff, and it comes online, it tells me the modem transmit levels on the upstream. If I notice my upstream transmit levels, assuming I do four upstream bonding or eight upstream bonding, eight upstream bonding would be better because then you have more spectrum, right? Uh, and I notice my transmit levels are like this, well then I put in a reverse EQ to do this, and then I put in a pad to do this. And it's right back to the same transmit levels that I had when I started with. Kind of like a sweep, right? You're taking a normalized point at the node, and then you're going down the line at every active device. Hopefully, you have the same type of test equipment or test point, a tap or a test point itself, and you compare it to the original. I mean, if you're off, if if the next amplifier had a 20 dB tap off of it, I would have to offset my balance by 3 dB. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're using your modems as your as basically your sweepless sweep, and also your level measurements. They're 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 doing that, but you have to assume your modems might be like online. Yeah, um, and the CMTS is saying I always want to see zero, so the modem transmit levels are going to do whatever they need to do to hit zero. So I use my my modem transmit levels as my my sweep trace, if you will. Right. You know, I'm I'm trying to use that for balancing pad and EQ. Um, whether or not you can use that to see in-channel standing, well, you would, right? It's, even with that, you'd see in-channel standing, standing waves, uh, maybe not in-channel because it's pretty tight, but between channels, you could see a standing wave. So, I mean, I'm assuming I'm turning on almost all of the upstream spectrum as well. <laughs> That's why I'd like to see in an 85 megahertz system, people do A-channel upstream bonding. So you have full visibility of the whole spectrum. Right. A lot of times you avoid the low 10 megahertz, but hey. <laughs> hey, who, ca who cares what happens down there so. so we're going back actually back to the comment before that you need your eyes and ears which are your cable modems right the cable modem become your you know monitoring device and your basically the the tool that you use to collect all that information from the field and the cable modems can really collect endless amount of information in the end and the pnm tools is going to enable us to do that in a more standardized way right so collecting all that information creating the right topology and potentially even using, you know, more advanced uh, algorithms to try to predict if there is an interference, where is it positioned, right? You know, the cable modem is reporting something. We know something else from the, from the remote phi node or the, or the fiber node at the end. And there's the path between the two. Can we really extrapolate where potentially is the interference occurring, right? Can we really try to estimate that? And I know there are some algorithms algorithms being worked in cable labs to try to kind of predict where is the interference and, and create some more models to uh, to forecast where is an interference going to occur potentially. I mean, we do that now, right, for uh, P&M and, and upstream right. equalization taps and trying to narrow down where we think the problem located. And, and Brady's very you know, intimately familiar with that. Uh, you know, we even talk about now if I do some type of echo cancellation in the fiber node for FDX, I can do that type of scenario for downstream as well. Exactly. You know, because the downstream, the echo cancellation is looking at the echoes on the downstream from the node out. 
So not only do I have upstream reflections and and, and what what we call it the uh, uh, two reflections between each other uh, echo cavity echo cavity exactly uh, we could do the same thing on the downstream if we have say an FDX node with echo cancellation but I mean yeah. we we can narrow down and full bandwidth capture we can obviously see ingress and full bandwidth capture and we can look at all the modems and say all right well here's the common point where it must be coming in because all these modems are showing the same response you know the same ingress yeah so I mean is it feasible that our our short term solution of using cable modems to look at the levels set the levels look at the the basically a sweepless sweep then later possibly becomes our long-term solution because we can with orchestration we can control an individual cable modem and sweep that cable modem through the return and that cable modem then becomes our sweepless sweep as we so, so basically you control the center frequency of that cable modem you could move it through measure its level look at it at its in-channel frequency response as, as you move it through and that becomes your sweep that reduces the taxing on the re, on the RPD uh, of doing that sort of that that requirement in the NDR NDF. So is that is that a potential solution? I don't see why not. I mean, I think everything's on the table, you know. Um, and then people are like, "Well, am I going to lose my job?" I think there's enough jobs for everybody. <laughs> there's enough work for everybody for other things, right? Trying to eliminate some of this. Uh, remedial stuff or the things that are taking us away from the, the proactive stuff we're trying to do. Um, but you give a, you have a good point about the cable modem itself. I remember when we were doing interrupt at uh, Prodoxus 3.1 at Cable Labs, and we had a problem with an 85 megahertz upstream. And we turned on this new functionality on the 3.1 modem, and it was basically you can make an upstream modem act like a sweep transmitter. It'll actually sweep through the spectrum. So not only am I saying, like earlier, I said, turn on eight upstream channels. No, you could actually make a modem into a sweep generator. Um, yep. And we did that, and we noticed it wasn't working, not because our diplex motor was bad. It was the diplex motor in the modem itself. It turned out that the modem had a, a TLV or SNMP set to set the internal diplex filter. So it went to 42 megahertz and went to 85 megahertz, and right at the cutoff point of 42 and 85, had a suck out because the two filters weren't properly setting up. So basically the, the place where they crossed over, they basically crossed over and caused a suck out. So out of my eight upstream channels, I was missing one upstream channel. It was right near the suck out. And it turned out it was from the modem itself. But I was able to use that modem sweep functionality to see the sweep trace from there back to the CMTS or back to the, you know my head end. And uh, you're basically injecting like a noise type of signal and I could clearly see a, a suck out. And it turned out it was some type of setting on the cable modem itself. Right. Now, you're always blaming the plant and sometimes it's the modem. <laughs> it's, it could be timing, it could be the modem. Yeah, there's a lot of things, right? Yeah. All right, so final topic. Cable Tech Expo in Atlanta, Georgia in the, I think it's the second to the last week in October, but it's coming up very quickly. Both of you will be there, correct? I think so. Um, Tal, can you tell us a little bit about what you'll be doing during Cable Tech Expo? Sure, I would love to. Thanks, Rick. So, we're setting moments in our booth. Tal, just please repeat that last sentence. We, we you broke up sure. just a little bit. Hmm. Okay, let me just arrange my mic. Um, okay, do you hear me okay? 
No, no, no. You're breaking no? it. <laughs> All right. Wait one second. Let me close down applications here or something. While you're doing that, John, go ahead. Tell us what you'll be doing at Cable Tech Expo. I, I was just hacking. Oh, because she's from Eris, so I was just hacking. So she couldn't tell me what she's doing. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, like I said earlier, I'm here in Atlanta right now staging some of this stuff. And we're going to show FDX. Uh, we're going to show the inode. Um, we're going to show some SmartFi, which is automation type of stuff. Uh, mobile backhaul is kind of a new one. So mobile backhaul is interesting because uh, people are talking about low latency applications and whether or not, what does 5G really bring to the table? Is 5G really something I have to worry about as a cable operator? Uh, is it something I should supply uh, to my end customers? And maybe I do have rural, rural customers that uh, would like to use a 5G hotspot and, and not take my service. I don't know. Um, so there's, there's some things up in the air about mobile backhaul uh, or 5G in general. You know, how big will 5G really be? Uh, and if it does become what they say it might be, then we better have a solution. And we always have to have some solution, right? It's something. Um, so we have a solution to offer this low latency backhaul. So if I already have fiber run through a neighborhood and I have a DOCSIS network, can I implement low latency features to allow mobile to work properly over that DOCSIS network? Because DOCSIS inherently has protocol limitations request the grant cycle, right? A modem can't just send on the upstream. It has to make a request. And then on a downstream map, the modem is allowed to send on the upstream after it gets a downstream map. So request grant cycle can be really taxing. And we get around that with uh, something called DOS's predictive scheduler, uh, something in mobile backhaul called bandwidth requests. We have this new thing called DOCSIS timing protocol that's in newer modems. That's to allow low latency. Uh, so there's some things that uh, it's high level stuff I don't have a real cool demo yet. <laughs> I told the guys, the demo gods that uh, from Cisco, I said, man, it'd be cool if I could use my phone and use it in a demo. They're like, you know, this FCC requirements on spectrum allocation and stuff like that. They're like, well, build, build me a Faraday cage and then we'll do it like that. <laughs> All right. So if, if uh, any of the listeners are attending Cable Tech Expo, be sure to stop by and visit John at the Cisco booth and ask him to repeat everything he just said. Paul, <laughs> so, let's try your audio again. Okay. Is it better now? Yeah, we'll keep going. <laughs> okay. So we have pretty cool demos at the Expo. We have some orchestration demos. We have a virtual core functionality. Um, completely flexible architecture wall that shows all the different variants that we support in terms of, uh, you know, providing service to, to the customer. Um, I'm going to be talking at Expo. I have a, a paper there, and I'm going to be talking about experience with deploying remote fi and the paper is called uh, Live Do's and Don'ts for Remote fi Deployment. Um, in the paper, along with our partner, from Denmark, I think everything that we learned during the remote fire deployment at, uh, at SOFA, and we're going to create recommendations on what should you be looking into when you plan this remote fire transition, uh, what kind of value are you expected to get out of that transition? So, so let me ask you, because you're breaking up, so I'm going to try to 
figure out okay. what you said there. I'm going to pull it back together and you just say yes or no. <laughs> so you, you're okay. doing a paper. You're doing one of the workshops. You're in one of the workshops. And is it a paper with, uh, you did a remote flight deployment with Stofa? No. Thank you for repeating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Stofa is in Sweden, Germany? Denmark. Where? Denmark. Denmark. Okay. And uh, so in the paper and the presentation, you're going to go over what you've learned from that installation. Good. Yeah. Lessons learned from remote fire installation. I have no idea what happened to my audio. I'm just trying to fix it, but I don't, don't seem to get to. Working out. Um, you know, looking into. No, ah, so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Only on our podcast would Cisco be promoting what you are doing, what Eris is going to be promoting at the show. So that this is awesome. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so we also know. Uh, I think you said you're going to have remote fi demos at the and orchestration demos in your booth, um, Tal. Um, I think. I think you're, uh, anything else you, uh, you're, and please, anyone going to Expo, make sure you go and see Tal's presentation uh, on lessons learned on, on uh, your deployment with Stofa in Denmark. Uh, anything else that you want to um, lip read to us that we can promote for you, Tal? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things. You're doing such a great job. No, but I'm good. Thank you. I'm sorry for the audio quality no. issues. No problem, no problem. You had great audio throughout the broadcast. Uh, I think we just had some issues at the end. John, thank you so much for helping Tall promote herself at Expo. <laughs> awesome camaraderie. Um, so uh, hey, we're going to hey, wrap. One more thing. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Cisco's still promoting, and uh, uh, I guess promoting is a good word, uh, the SCT IP challenge. Yes. So we have the, uh, the party five, I think it's five to Wednesday night. Wednesday night. So I will be I will be there Wednesday night at uh, at the IP challenge, and I encourage everyone else to come. Tal, hopefully you'll come for the IP challenge if you're available, and we'll see you there. Sounds um, so good. Definitely looking forward to seeing you, both of you, and uh, and all of our other friends at SCTE Expo, and hope to see as many of our listeners at SCT Expo. Please do if you see myself or John or Tall, stop in and say hi to us. We love, love, love to see. Hey, are you guys going to the DAA pre-conference on Monday? I guess Monday. I, yeah, I will not be able to make the conference. I don't know, Tall. Will you be making the conference? No. Uh, we Can lost. You say it. yes or no, Tall. <laughs> <laughs> Tall will not be able to make the conference. John, are you going? I, I, I think. Uh, I know John Chapman was on the hook to provide a paper on distributed access architecture, some lessons learned, some of the stuff we're talking about here. Uh, and I think uh, I might help him out with that, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we're involved in that as well. So I think, you know, how they, what, what do we call it, symposium or whatever? So that first day, they have an extra training session, and I think it's half a day now. Um, and it's on DAA, distributed access architecture. All right. Thank you for that, John. Tal, John, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great episode. Our next episode will be episode 43 after the SCTE. We'll be doing a, a roundup on that. Um, we do our best every month to bring good technical information to our audience. Obviously, very non-biased, as you saw John promoting Tal. Great, great, great. <laughs> love it. <laughs>
Um, so if you like what we are watching, please do hit the subscribe button or register for our content on your favorite podcaster. There'll be an audio version available to this, so you don't have to see John and my mugs. Tall, you're great to see every time. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much. We will see you next month. Bye, all. All right. See you. See ya. Thanks.